Hello. Welcome to this episode of Talking Ghana. Talking Ghana is a podcast devoted to the left, right, and center of Ghana's politics. For each episode, my friends Nelson, Otin, Mami, Oliver, and I offer our refreshingly opinionated and highly controversial take on the key issues and themes shaping Ghanaian politics. I am Papa Dankwa, an international human rights and labor lawyer and a happy co-host of this podcast. Welcome, welcome to this episode of Talking Ghana. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, guys, welcome. Hey, Mami, happy to have you back. We missed you in our last episode um, talking about the Auditor General. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm happy to be back as well. Um, yeah. I missed that episode. Um, I'm sorry to have, but I'm happy to be back on this one. Yeah, I mean, we, you, will, you, you, you still have space to share your thoughts on the passing of former President Rawlings. And also, of course, if you have any thoughts about um, the Auditor General, about the context of today's discussion um, is the Special Prosecutor. So Oliver, Nelson, Oti, how are you guys doing wherever you are? Fine, and I'm, I'm very excited that uh, the Electoral Commission of Ghana is projecting that it will be able to announce the results of election 2020 within 24 hours. <laughs> Please. From from what is happening elsewhere, we don't need such such uh, announcements. Nelson, well, I'm I'm also good. Um, we we had a, a very interesting discussion uh, the, at that time, uh, but um, Mami was missing, so I'm really happy to see her uh, and looking forward to 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 today. I, I am praying. I, I'm actually praying for things stamina because I know he's been working throughout the night. And so for him to, to endure another conversation on this, that's the kind of goals I need in life right now. <laughs> Can you set us off with the, this, the Office of the Special, Special Prosecutor and whatever has happened to him this week? Last week, uh-huh. we, Good. so last week we had a, a, a very lively discussion about the um, Office of the Auditor General and the president's decision to ask the Auditor General to uh, proceed on his annual uh, accumulative leave. Uh, We used that discussion um, as a lever to explore uh, the role of anti-corruption reform uh, in the uh, upcoming election. Um, And um, a week after the discussion, uh, we saw some very interesting developments in the news. So the Office of the Special Prosecutor, um, uh, which uh, was created by the current government as part of a broader fight against 
corruption, but uh, particularly corruption targeted at um, uh, political actors and political exposed, uh, politically exposed persons. Uh, and this week, uh, we heard the news that the special prosecutor resigned, uh, citing uh, lack of support uh, from the president and um, interference uh, from the office of the president. And so for this week, um, we want to focus on the office and uh, reflect on the impact that the fallout uh, uh, from the resignation of the special prosecutor will have uh, on the upcoming election. Uh, I, the, the, I mean, generally, we the, we know that the the office of the special prosecutor is a is a recent creation, right? Uh, as as as, as been said in the beginning. It's one of the things that the, the new patriotic party before it won its mandate had promised it was going to do, create an office where it was going to segment corruption relevant cases to it. One of the justifications was that, and I think it's been part of our body politic for a very long time. This idea that the office of the attorney general was not independent of the presidency enough, due mainly to the fact that the president had been appointing the, the attorney general and attorney general was part of cabinet. And so this is the context in which the institution was created. Now, I do think there's a lot to be said generally about whether it repeats uh, our half-hearted half commitment to, to fighting corruption and not really thinking outside the box. Or maybe it does reflect an outside-of-the-box thinking also by trying to carve out an institution uh, or create an institution specifically to deal with corruption-related issues, which is what the special prosecutor became. But we, we know now that the special prosecutor in the letter submitted to the presidency resigning, uh, raising a lot of substantive issues as to whether or not the independence, the office six one was sufficient for the performance of the role, whether the president and the president's team were committed to that independence generally. And, and whether the, pre, the, the, the special prosecutor felt that the remit for him to do his work was now being stepped upon by the, we, we know instances of, he has related at least that the president, he had been invited by the president to talk about the, the corruption risk analysis he, has, he had conducted on, on the Japa deal, which, had, which involved the finance minister and other stakeholders, which he felt that the president was using this again. In his words, uh, as realizing his dreams of appointing a poodle to the office rather than an independent person. So I know I know there's, there's a lot of conversation about that. Perhaps, I don't know, whether somebody could start the conversation about whether institutionally the role was, is an institutionally relevant thing to create. I don't know whether anybody wanted to jump on that and I can gather my thoughts in the, in the process. Maybe Nelson. Oh, I, I thought, um, okay. No, I, I think it's um, it's uh, it's a very interesting creation. Uh, personally, uh, I'm not a big fan of the office, uh, if I have to disclose. Uh, not because I don't think we um, we don't need strong institutions and independent institutions in the fight against corruption, uh, but it's because of my personal reading of the way we approach reform 
and capacity building and state responses to problems. Um, very often, as I indicated last week, um, we seem to have a tendency as a country to create institutions without reflecting in more concrete terms uh, how we would operationalize them and also reflecting on um, the interrelationships within the broader um, government of gov uh, public institutions. Uh, and I think uh, if we were to just focus on uh, strengthening existing institutions of anti-corruption, uh, it would have been much better than creating a whole new office. And I just want to go back to um, the 2008 elections. Um, and there was a, a similar debate uh, during uh, the presidential debate. Uh, uh, and the debate focused on the role of the attorney general, um, whether government uh, or whether as a country we needed to create an independent uh, attorney general's uh, office. Uh, and Nanado gave a very good response, I thought at the time, uh, when he said that we do not need necessarily need an independent office and that uh, one thing we could look at was to uh, expand or take a second look at the, um, the mandate of Shraj, uh, the uh, Commission for Human Rights and Administrative Justice to add some sort of anti-corruption mandate and other mandates that uh, could could have been done. And I thought that was a very, um, it would have been a much more appropriate uh, uh, approach, partly because uh, Shraj has the institutional memory, it has the capacity, it has the existing structures. Um, and so uh, I'm not surprised that um, with the new creation, uh, with the Office of Special Prosecutor. Um, I mean, uh, we all know Martin Amidu has been on record complaining every day that the government has not been resourcing his office. Um, there's been quite a lot of uh, challenges in operationalizing the office. Uh, I also think that, um, uh, and I, I, I don't know how the office was structured in more specific terms in the constitution. Uh, but I think we also have to look at how Martin Amidou was appointed. Uh, it appears to me that um, his appointment was political in terms of uh, what the president thought was uh, a much more you know, effective thing to do. Um, but uh, we all know Martin Amidou as a politician and uh, he's been involved in quite a lot of controversial issues. And so uh, I'm more on the institutional side, uh, interested in the processes uh, that led to his uh, appointment. Was it done through uh, a more uh, independent uh, process that ascertained his capacities and his uh, in, in, of course, consistent with the enabling legislation that uh, set up the office, or it was just uh, the president's own judgment that uh, he he would he would be an effective person. Because I think there's quite a lot of debate to be had as to 
how he as a person has managed the office and the way he has uh, conducted himself. And just to pick on the Shraj issue, so Shraj already has an anti-corruption mandate. The the issue there was more of whether that anti-corruption mandate issue be also added that Shraj will have the powers, uh, the prosecutorial powers, because as things are now, Shraj can only investigate and make recommendations and then can will only go to court and to with a view of enforcing its recommendations and the court may either accept or not accept its recommendations. So the issue there was more of whether Shraj should have prosecutorial powers and that then bring up a bigger issue of whether in one institution you have an anti-corruption body, an ombudsman, and uh, a human rights organization all in one institution. The processes of uh, investigating human rights and the processes of uh, investigating um, maladministration, whether you you can sit with an anti-corruption powers within the same body brings up bigger issues, which really has been also manifested in this very investigation that has led to Martin Amidou's uh, resignation, i.e. that what he did was a corruption risk analysis. The question then is, if it was a corruption risk analysis, uh, isn't the president the person to receive that report and then act based on that report. And if the president then calls you to discuss the report, one of the questions that has come up is, can you really say that the the president is interfering? Because there is no criminal connotation to a corruption risk analysis. You are just, uh, there is a project and you think that the, the, the project is prone to corruption. And so you are assessing the project within, within, within the confines of how uh, it's prone to corruption. And then you are letting those who are implementing the project that, look, you've got to be watchful about these things and, and be careful that all these threats of corruptions are, are, are addressed. If that is what you're doing, then you've got to go back to the people who have ownership of the project and discuss that with them. And if you do that uh, and they, they, they make their comments known to you, that may not be, be, be properly conceived as interference. That's, that's an argument out there. The bigger picture is whether you can, within our Ghanaian jurisprudence right now, whether you can initiate a corruption risk analysis, present a report, and based on the report, you you then proceed to criminally investigate people that you think have been uh, involved in corruption. It's very doubtful to me that you can 
start off a process like that and then lead into an actual investigation based on a, a corruption risk analysis. So it, it's probably uh, that conflation of investigating corruption per se and assessing a project for the threat of corruption. There are two different things that uh, uh, Martin Amidu seemed to be doing and the combination of all both, both processes in the same report brings up bigger issues as to whether really the president was interfering or it was the place of the president to tell him, to, to give him comment of uh, whoever he was, he had been implicated. Those are bigger issues. I, I don't know what you, you guys have to say about it. So, so I mean, the, the, the law uh, uh, says that uh, among its function is that the office has to investigate and prosecute. Um, but uh, Oten, your point about that sort of tension, uh, it seems it's there, you know. Do you um, essentially act as the investigator and prosecutor and what sort of issues and conflict emerge? In so that they, sense, would you say that there is a fundamental problem? So there, is, act, yeah. there is no issue with that. You, you investigate with right from the beginning, you know that you are investigating a, a corruption allegation. And so in investigating that, there are things that you have to do to make sure that you are giving the, whoever you are investigating the, uh, 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 a right to hearing and all that. But there's a third aspect of his mandate, which is prevention of corruption. And it is that third aspect of his mandate that he, he proceeded under in this uh, corruption risk analysis. Now, if you are preventing corruption, you are not in investigating anybody for corruption. And so in this case, a JAPA was a pro is a project that the government thinks it has to undertake to securitize royalties received from uh, gold, all right? So what he said he was doing is that he was assessing the whole project to, us, to determine how prone it is to corruption. Now, when you do that, the processes of uh, the, the, the processes involved may be entirely different from when you are criminally investigating somebody for corruption. And and if you combine the two, that's where you be, we, we, we begin to have problems. Oliver, you wanted to come in here. Yeah, I wanted to. I yeah, wanted okay. To, to... Okay, mommy, maybe you go. Um, let me start by saying I have never been a fan of the Office of the, of, of the Special Prosecutor. Um, in 2017, when it was established, I, um, in my commentary in the Global Constitutional Review, I said I didn't find it to be a necessary office, and I maintain that position. We have a lot of overlapping. It's, it's uh, like Nelson was saying, we're in the habit of knee-jerk creating institutions as if the presence of the institution will re remove the, the problem that we have identified, rather than reflecting more deeply what the thing we are seeing 
is is owed to and how we can remedy that. So I've never been a fan of this office. There's there are too many anti-corruption institutions in this in one in a country in the same country. We're not even a federal country. Why do we have so many institutions whose job it is to find corruption? There's the Yoko, there's SFO, there's um Trage. There's too many places, right? It would be wiser for us to reflect on what we have, especially given our resource challenges, and figure out how we can make that process more efficient, as opposed to setting up more and more offices. Then the special prosecutor's office had too many powers for my liking in the first place. Like, um, and, and, and I connect this to Shred as well. I'm one of those who's happy that Shred has been inefficient and has been underfunded because I find it an overly powerful institution. You should never have um, an institution that can prosecute that also self-triggers in investigations. How, how could, it's not in the interest of a citizen to have an institution that can decide to, to look into your affairs and then prosecute you based on what it decided. And you may get a, an anonymous complaint. You're not entitled to know who, but you are suddenly in or, or what. But now they can, they, can, they can look into your affairs and then prosecute you. I find these, these um, too reminiscent of, uh, too incumanesque for my liking, let me put it that way, um, too reminiscent of the First Republic. So um, I, I object the, to that. Prosecutor has sorry. I was saying that I was I Hello? was objecting by the the side bullet in Krumah's regime was getting in this, but please proceed. <laughs> well, it, it, it is very much the uh, in Krumah style. So uh, resist all you can. You, you you all you want. You, you can't deny that it is very Krumah-esque. Um, so the office itself, I don't hold out too much promise for it. Whenever you structure an office such that its holder will be too powerful, um, you'll have one of two things happen. They either become as powerful as you have set them up to be and then oppress us all, or the contending source of power will undermine them every step of the way. So if Amedu claims that his office has not been allowed to be independent, well, it would not have served the, the interests of any other state power for his office to have been um, allowed to exercise the totality of power that the act allows um, him to exercise. I mean, it is a very scary act. I don't know what the parliamentarians were thinking. They can, you can give freezing orders without explanations, all manner of things. You can ruin political opponents by, uh, um, without, even having to, without even having to come up with a result. You can just say he was under investigation and we found that the investigation, um, he was cleared by the investigation. But in the meantime, if we've frozen his assets long enough to ruin his business, you know, I, I personally think that that office should not be um, ever equipped well enough to work properly. On the question of Mr. Amidu himself um, as prosecutor and um, his, his resignation, I have to say I'm a little less disappointed, shocked, all of the wows that I've, I've heard. I, I, I don't quite subscribe to them. Mr. Amidu has been in office for three years. That's a long time to discover you're not independent, like three years. Um, so the sudden resignation on account of not being independent, and I also found that the reasons were too many, like it's because there's logistics, um, um, they are under-resourced, it's because um, he was not, there was political interference from the top, but it's because, uh, which one was it? And if it was all of this, why did it take three years? I see Mr. Amidu as a man of principle, as, as, as he has 
repeatedly um, said he of himself. And I didn't expect that it would take three years for him to discover that he was not, his office was not independent. Um, again, like Nelson, I, I, I have questions around the appointment methodology. You know, Mr. Amiru had, had acquired such a celebrity status as a corruption uh, vigilante that nobody really questioned why it was him or how it came to be him. So like Nelson is saying, we don't really know how the president will replace him. We didn't spend too much time thinking about that in the beginning. So now we have this issue where we don't know if it is possible for there to be a special prosecutor who will not feel the way Mr. Amidu feels. Because if the only thing that leads to your appointment is the president thinks so, well then, you know, what, um, what are the chances that the president will let you do things that he didn't think you would once you are in the position to do so. So um, we really do need to think around the methodology. We're in the habit of creating positions intended to check um, our public officers and putting those positions, the filling of those positions or the funding or the supervision under the very same people they're supposed to um, check. So we can't run a checks and balances system where the, the checks are under under the, the, the parts that they're supposed to check. So that's something we really need to think about. And going forward from Mr. Mr. Amidu's resignation, consider whether whether we need that office at all. I still insist we don't. We need to really think through what we have. We we have too many and um they're already too powerful. We have greater problems than the absence of a special prosecutor. Um, and the idea that we need to separate um, the, the prosecution of, of um, political corruption from regular crimes is to me in itself a source of worry about what we think are the rights of people in office. Because um, if, the, 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 if the government is generally being held to account by the people, the president shouldn't be able to not um, paternalistically add his corrupt um, offices. No president should be able to do so because if the system were run, if the, if the people were doing their part in the democracy, they should be voting people out whose morals they don't like, whose members, who, whose team members conduct they don't approve of. So if we feel that because the attorney general is part of the government that um, corruption, corrupt political officers will get away with, with corruption. Then we are saying that underlying our system is the idea that the he in office can do whatever. And I don't know how you expect an institution set up by the president to change that. That, that person is also somebody appointed by the very same person who appointed the ministers that you think because he appointed them, he won't persecute, you know? It's very um, circular. You think he appointed the ministers so he won't let them be persecuted. He appointed the special prosecutor, but you think he will allow him to persecute them. So yeah, that, I, would, I think that our, our, the big question around the resignation of the special prosecutor is not, is not so much Mr. Amidu himself or even his performance, but a complete review of that institution, its necessity, its purpose, um, its ability to achieve what we hoped it would achieve, given how we set it up. So perhaps in, in contradistinction from, from uh, me to some extent, I mean, there's definitely a lot 
that she has said that I I don't necessarily share those viewpoints, uh, and and I I mean I hope to be as brief as possible in and and hope that I capture enough of it because I know this is this is a conversation that can take us that can take us at least five episodes to exhaust it from the rationale of the setting up and also the performances in office. Uh, the first point I wanted to make is that the I had said I think on the previous podcast uh, that. If I had been in Ghana at the time of the election, I would probably would have broken my rule about not voting for any, either the NDC or an MPP ever in my lifetime and considered voting for the MPP because of the promise of the special prosecutor. So unlike perhaps both of you, I thought that there could be some value to the special prosecutor's office. The reason why I was compelled by the promise of the MPP on that point of that, listen, we've run our democracy for so long. And if there was anything that we're consistently hearing, or uh, you can say that it had become some, either an excuse or maybe it was factual, is that all attorney generals and former attorney generals were complaining and saying that, listen, it is almost entirely impossible for me to sit in cabinet with these same people and expect me to prosecute them. It wasn't happening and we can be as idealistic as it, we can be on the, path, on the point, but we are not going to do it. So there's substantive problems we have had as to what they understand, where the allegiances lie. And that's the problem we continue to deal with in our democracy. Now, in proposing the Office of the Special Prosecutor, I saw then that, well, at least it takes away something out of the reason why we have refused to do, to actually act on prosecuting public servants who, who use public resources or public offices to private ends. And I was hoping that this provides an avenue for that conversation. Now, immediately after this came in, I, I was surprised by my own naivete in thinking that we're aligned in, in wanting to do what I thought the office would do or what, what I thought the scope of which the, the office had been proposed. Because first of all, I was one of the people who criticized even the constitutionality of the office. And I thought, and I wasn't making it as a, as a, as a fine legalese point of trying to be, but also in the need that I understood that there was a need to secure the, the legitimacy and the long-term viability of the office. And that you wanted to be able to create an institution where, because it's a hotly contested area, questions of corruption, prosecution of corruption, you have to create an institution that is well insulated. And you don't start off by creating an institution which is already fallible, where people can challenge for being unconstitutional. So I think the process of trying to set it up was itself problematic. In terms of even the mandate it was given also gave me a lot of pause. And it's one of the funny things where it's the first time you go to a, a government, a public institution's website. And if you do go to the Office of the Special Prosecutor's website, you would see they themselves saying that, listen, the, the act which creates us falls seriously short of anything that we need to prosecute corruption. And that substantive corruption-related offenses have been hived up from us, that we are left with bare bones, and apparently our hands are tied on, behind our backs. And I think Amidu hints a bit at that initial legacy, the legacies of origin that sets up the office, that even dehabilitates the office from being any fighting any useful role in the, in the prosecution of corruption itself. Uh, so that's one of the, the general contexts in which my, I want my colleagues to intervene. That for somebody who had been sold on the idea, I was quickly disenchanted about how we went about trying to operationalize it. I do think that I disagree here about the appointment though of the way in which the person is appointed. Because I mean, there's several ways, institutional ways in which you can appoint the person. Either you're allowing a public servant to appoint the person or as we did, a person appointed by the president who is then 
approved by parliament. It's the same way in which we appoint our, our judges, and if that is not enough, or in the same way I think we appoint the, uh, the electoral commissioner, and if those are not enough, then those officers can never be independent in the way in which we think about it. You know, now in the circumstances that led to Amidou's resignation, there's a lot that is telling from not necessarily the letter he wrote, because we know that some of those issues have been in, in the past, but the presidency's responses. We show in which they were trying to defend the circumstances in which and what they are trying to do to accommodate Amidou. Show significant lapses in ad administrative regularity that Amidou hadn't spent money that we had allocated to him. But then instead of what the law, law required us to do by taking back the money, we actually kept it in there. Amidou had been, been the one leading where to choose an office for him. So many things which shows a lack of institutional setup in the way in which the office, the presidency was dealing with him. And a lot of, and if anything they said was, is to be believed, show that there's so many uh, procedural things which were set aside in the way in which the office was being dealt with. So it shows that, I mean, even the commitment in getting the rules right, if you're already doing the things in the wrong way, then we're already creating much more problems than we should. Now, as a last point, uh, and I want to pick up on something Otin says, which I completely agree with, as to what mandate and what, what the special prosecutor was even supposed to do in a, a Japan deal, for instance. It's unclear whether there's a, a commission of inquiry or what, because this mandate does, it's, not a, it's, not, it's not a legal advisor to the presidency where the president will say, listen, this deal has been done. Can you, can you study it and then advise me? It, it shouldn't have been in that position for, for the, in the first place. So that if the special prosecutor is intervening in something like that, then it's not going to be doing what Shraj does. It's not going to be doing what the commission of inquiry does. It's supposed to look at it and prosecute. Now, so Otin says, for instance, that, well, if it did a corruption risk analysis and what on the, at the president's behest, it should have then listened to the president and, and, and head it. But that is where the problem comes from. That is assessing, it is doing something which is not even in its mandate, which is not something that it's supposed to do in the first place. And that ultimately, even the circumstances under which it got invited to the presidency, for the presidency to be a conveyor belt for the finance minister's comments on the, on the report is problematic in itself, right? And forget even the whole commentary about the fact that the finance minister, as we said, is the cousin of the president and what that evokes and the perceptions that are related there to. That you have a president who is in a rather report which shows me that there's significant impropriety that was conducted. But please don't do anything with the report. Let me speak to the finance minister and get his comments and give to you. That is not your role. These are two different institutions that are supposed to speak to each other. And the president, that's not the president's role as a facilitator for comments from his cousin. So those are, there's so many issues in there that, I mean, I think raise problems. And I don't know how we can be exhausted. We can exhaust it in one conversation. But I mean, a lot of, there's room for, for those conversations. Anyway. I, I'm going to let Papa come in uh, briefly, but uh, just a, two quick points. I think my concern with the appointing process isn't, isn't necessarily because it's coming from the president. I think what Mami and I uh, uh, are interested in is the processes that led to the judgment uh, of, of the selection. So what did the president, what sort of process did the president go through to settle on Martin Amidu? Um, and I think that that, that is, uh, uh, and, and then, uh, I think what we are, uh, Oliver, what you are probably not 
uh, restraining yourself, what you are restraining yourself from saying is the problematic nature of the of the act itself. Because when you look at the act, as Mami rightly said, it has a lot there. There's a lot in terms of initiating investigation, uh, following acting on referrals from parliament, auditor general, a whole lot of institutions um, that are also catered for in the act. And so I think we probably need to acknowledge the problematic nature uh, of the act. And it is what has provided the sort of opportunity for what I think it's a, it's a highly personalized office. When you look at the things coming from the office of the prosecutor, the letterheads, the titles, look at, look at uh, what uh, the, of, uh, the special prosecutor, the, the release about ex-president John Mahama, the title uh, that he gave, you know, special one, you know, not, you can see that there isn't any effort to institutionalize the office. And that sort of personalization uh, is, I think, what went into the appointment of Martin Amidu. And he continued that professionalize, uh, personalization without att any attention to professionalize the office, institutionalize the office, and even act in ways that you would consider to be within the boundaries of, of the act. But uh, I will let Papa well, come, come in. But now that you've mentioned me directly, I feel almost like I, I need to respond. Before no, no, go ahead, guys. I'm enjoying the, the banter. <laughs> no, no. But I, if I wanted to say something... Can I, I come in here quickly? I, I just wanted to, to, to endorse Nelson's, Nelson's position on the, on the Batman nature of, 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 the, of Amidu's tenure as, yeah. as special prosecutor. Um, he's basically... We are finally basically seeing that like a, alignment that we are... We aren't number one for nothing. <laughs> um, but no, seriously, it's, he's like Batman. It's his office yeah. and his work and his. Yeah. There's, there's no sign that the office will survive him. There's yeah. no institutional methodology we've seen put up um, under his term, and there's none that you can see that the act required him to have set up. Yeah. Uh, well, well, fortunately, and part of his problem, um, he's complaining about being institutions are harder to impede than people. So if you set up a person as an institution, it's not that hard to impede him. Um, and so, so really, the, the problem with that office, and, and as Nelson was saying, it's the, it's the decision making that we have a problem with. How did we get to the answer, Amigo is the guy? And because if we don't know how, how do we know how we will get to the next answer, you know? And when he, he leaves office um, with members of staff, are they on projects that continue or do they stop until his, his replacement um, is appointed? So are they gonna to go to work um, and do nothing or are they allowed to continue? Um, yeah. th there's so many questions around the institutional nature of that position. Okay. Well, so well, what, what, what I seem to be hearing is not that to Amidu's appointment is a reflection on the president, right? But I don't want to get into that for now. I do want to react directly to, to the act in any case that there's nothing, this is my point, that there's nothing in the act that the, the, the attorney general was not already capable of doing. 
So the act doesn't create powers that an attorney general did not have. So that we, so we should, I don't want the impression to be created. But it creates somebody who is not the attorney general who has them as well. That is the so, problem. So it creates I, someone I, I, who I is not the attorney general who yes. also has these powers. So I, as I an agree. ordinary citizen, I'm actually very concerned about how many people can do me in. So I, I agree with you. And this goes to the point about and the with the special prosecutor, I talked about. He has so little to lose politically. The special prosecutor has so little to lose politically from his decisions that it doesn't even have, like, the attorney general at least has to worry about his government going to elections. And, and so it's not, a good, it's not a great protection, but it minimizes to some extent how thoroughly abusive the AG can be of their powers. Whereas with the special prosecutor, what has he got to lose if he decides he doesn't like me and he's going to make me poor? Or he's going to drag me through the mud and, and make my, my professional um, network suspicious of me? Like, what has he got to lose? So if you say that he has, there's nothing that the attorney general couldn't do, that may be true. But there was some measure of protection for the ordinary citizen from the attorney general turning abusive. There's very little against the special prosecutor. So if on top of that, there's no way we can tell who's qualified to be a special prosecutor, who could possibly be in the running, we're all at the mercy of whoever manages to keep up the best front to, to persuade the president to, to appoint them. And like I said, to me, that's very First Republic. And I don't oh, want to okay. live in the First Republic. I'm taking the First Republic thing as a bait. I'm not going to go in there. Also, but, also, also the, the act... Yeah, not to Oxford not to back, forth and back. Uh, not to accuse the person who drafted the law, but I think the act has a lot of problems. I mean, one of the problems, and just to tie into Mami's point, um, okay. th there's this requirement for them to uh, investigate um, political corruption, but then there is also this provision, which is politically exposed people. When you glance through the act, it doesn't define who a politically exposed person is. So essentially, you've given this guy a blank check to go after anybody, provided he can come up with some excuse, no matter what. And I, I have a problem with the timing of his, uh, of his uh, uh, resignation close to an election. You can tell from the way the letter the extensive uh, investi um, uh, interviews is granted that this was tied to induce a certain outcome in the election. Uh, and why should we create and resource institutions to be able to do that when they feel like they have to do that? And, and I think that is where the institutionalization uh, comes in uh, and which I think really hasn't happened and we need to take a, a second look at but papa you've been too quiet for my liking so come hey, just a quick one no, no, before I'm, you i'm enjoying you, it I'm, I'm just enjoying a quick one I, I was just saying oliver also wanted to come in so not, I, I was never allowed though by the oxford mafia not to disagree with you but fortunately his deputy mrs lamte is is a very experienced lawyer who served us uh, for a very long time as the uh, uh, director of public prosecution. And so hopefully she can step in and institutionalize the, the office better than 
uh, it appears but, that Mr. Ahmed but, was. that's exactly the problem. So it's because you you probably know Miss Mrs. Lamte. Um, and so we are again deferring to the the character or goodwill of that whoever comes in. There is no there's no process you know there's no process unfortunately unfortunately in nelson you can say that of every appointment in public office unfortunately you can say it's that about every single appointment in public office fortunately for this office it it is it is about the only office other than uh, ministers of state and 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 justices of the Supreme Court who will be subjected to some parliamentary hearing. So we can take comfort in that. But otherwise, you can say that about every single appointment in public office. And it goes back to the administrative things that Oliver was talking about. Look, if you look and scrutinize the response by the office of the president, you realize and, and, and you realize that that's the problems that were narrated in there can also be said about every single office in Ghana. A budget is made by the office. It is subjected to some hearing at the Ministry of Finance. The Ministry of Finance then keep a cap on what the, that office can, can spend. Then the ministry in implementing the budget, in administering the budget, then releases monies in bits and pieces to the office. Within the physical year, that office is not able to spend that money and the money has to go back to ch uh, government chest. It, it affects operations of many of these offices, especially the so-called independent constitutional, uh, constitutionally set independent uh, constitutional bodies. And because you subject their budget ceilings to hearings at the Ministry of Finance, Shrad will come and tell you that we are not able to to execute all our operations because one, our budget is subjected to ceilings set by the ministry. Two, even after subjecting the budget to the ceilings of the ministry and caps of the ministry, we don't receive uh, uh, all the monies that we are supposed to re receive. When we receive the money, we are not so, we are not able to spend all the money, and it becomes a problem of the commissioners. In this case. The, the holder of, of, of the office of the special prosecutor to be administering all this. About half, no, I'm even being generous, about 80% of his time is spent doing this administrative thing and the actual substantive job that we have given him to investigate corruption, they are not able to invest, focus on that. Oliver, that runs through every office. And so those are seriously fundamental things that as a nation we have to confront. They are probably bigger governance issues that then go to waste than investigating individual corruption allegations, I dare to say. Mm -hmm.
So um, mm. I know I, I agree with you. I know one of the things I was hoping that we would separate, and it's difficult because there's so many angles to this conversation that is making it difficult for us to do that, is that Amidou's performance in the role and how we have set up the institution and the problems related thereto. And I think that we do agree that there's problems on, on, on both ends generally. What I am trying to say is that the fact that Amidou personalized the office, and I agree with this, that sometimes the way in which we conducted the office did not reflect a person with an institutional mindset and, institu and creating an institution and so much viewed himself as, as the office. And I was like, but the, I don't think that this problem comes from the act because the act does contemplate that an institution will be set up. So that's where I'm trying to make the, the distinction. And I also talked about the insufficiencies of the act. It seems to me that some of the conversations was about whether or not uh, the powers given to Amidu were so out of this world that it created a scary office. I necessarily do not think so. I do agree that the, the, the role should have been monopolized and that would require constitutional amendment. That's where I talked about the unconstitutionality of powers that exclusively given to the AG's department were given, parliament then went surreptitiously to try to create somebody and give this same role to somebody else. I didn't think parliament had the power to do that. So that's something that I was talking about that I, I felt that we couldn't do that uh, constitutionally. But I do think that the problems that Amidou encountered in the office and the way in which he conducted himself reflected an, a person who approached the office as if he was still a corruption a vigilante. And that never went about it with an institutional mindset. He didn't raise serious concerns, though, we must say, about the fact that some of the persons he had was forced to work with were people who were seconded to him and he had no say in their being brought to the office. And he talked about people being comp some of the people being compromised in terms of the investigations they were going to do. It's one of the challenges being, at least to some extent, exposed to public service, knowing that those are real risks that exist in our institution, whereby public servants who, who had certain briefs and were supposed to conduct themselves a certain way would then be the same ones calling the, the politicians who are the object of certain prosecutions and telling them things on the file or stealing files and hiding them or losing dockets, things at the Attorney General's department that was happening. All those problems are, are, are cultural issues that deal with people who have never been culturally invested in the fight against corruption itself. And those are problems which Amidu himself did not bring sufficient leadership to. So I agree on those points. But I also think that there were, there were issues regarding the act, which I don't necessarily align with Nelson and others about what those problems are. So that's why it seems like a conversation is going out round in, 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 in runabouts. But, You're going in uh, circles, yeah. Pa, yeah, Papa, but, but, do come in. But I, I, I still push back and say, I mean, this even this whole assertion that some of the investigators were compromised, we just don't know how who how he came to that conclusion, um, and what yeah. what should be the consequences of what you know. It's it's just we we and 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 just to tee in on the emphasis on the first republic. I think there's this <laughs> this top down arbitrary approach, and we we tend to equate that with decisiveness and effectiveness that is not always the case you know this How idea is that, that the legacies of our military regimes and no, why no this this idea this idea that the best way you can deal with corruption is this one source one fountain of authority 
manned by a very powerful and decisive person with integrity. That is not the case. And, no, but and unfortunately, I think we we tend to have that view about how we deal with national problems. You know, but, create, but, 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 create one institution, give it to somebody, let that person then execute, and then we are all very happy. That is not how you solve governance problems. And I think this is one classic case uh, of, of, of that uh, fundamental problem. Arthur, you wanted to say something. I, 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 that... I just wanted yeah. to take the bait and say, that is not so much a legacy from the First Republic. That oh, is a legacy from the military, many military regimes. It's the ethos of the military coups and the military regimes that we've had. Yes, there's, there's that debate to be made about how autocratic Nkrumah was, but uh, we, we, we can debate that some other time, but what you, what you are describing here takes its ethos from our military regimes. And See, what if, if, if it's the most in any courtroom, man. Uh, in the, 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 military, the military the military ethos regime. came from Nkrumah. Nkrumah was the one who <laughs> set the basis for, for, for all this. You know, the military. And, and remember... Nelson, you have no evidence for this you just said. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just been the case, you know. People being there's there'll be this announcement on radio, uh Mr. S show up here, and then you don't even know what you're oh, are, are, are you talking about Buzia and when he sang public servants apparently and on, on radio? Because I don't started, know whether that's the first started, region. That's the first republic or the second republic. <laughs> oh, and threaten judges and threaten judges as, <laughs> as well on radio. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 so, bottom line, the whole history of nation building in Ghana, from Nkrumah through Buzia and all the military regimes, exactly have contributed to that. E exactly, yeah. and and I and I yeah. think that we we just inherited a very uh, arbitrary thing from from the First Republic, and that has run through. Uh, Let me <laughs> just, just, just anyway, just to tease uh, Oliver with it. <laughs> let's let's let me try. To, let me let's try something, uh, and and perhaps talk a bit about the Attorney General's office, because there's something Nelson said, which I mean, I, I definitely agree with regarding this this sense that we needed a we needed a savior. We treated Rawlings the same way with the Junior Jesus, thinking yeah. that shooting people at stake was going to solve corruption for us, and that's all we need: somebody to wipe the slate screen. As, uh, clean, and I've seen these comments. Even people talk about the utility of democracy in our context. That we needed a we need a strong person. Well, usually they say strong man, uh, but being, being gender conscious, let me say strong person who would who would be the one leading the revival of the republic. But let's think about the Attorney General's role because we have created so many institutions. Mami said we have the we have Yoko. We now have the Special Prosecutors Office. We have so many institutions which are all related to corruption. But yet, Anasa Remeya with one camera can expose more corruption than they ever do in one single year. There was a conversation about the Attorney General's office as to whether perhaps the one we go... That is also the... very, very doubtful. But it will be another <laughs> <Yeah>. debate. <laughs> the debate for another day. Let's go on. There, there is a conversation about whether the way we do it is decouple the Ministry of Justice and Attorney General's office such that the Attorney General is not Minister of Justice. So that all these other... Roles, Yoko and others become under, 
next to the attorney general's office. And attorney general then has oversight of, of, of investigation and prosecution. But you have, for instance, in the US with the Department of Justice, right? You don't have an institution which is supposed to be doing the work for them. And then they then come in and go to court. So that all is manned by one institution. I don't know whether as a going forward mechanism, the, the idea is not to create, to appoint a new person to the Office of the Press Social Prosecutor, but rethink these institutions that already exist. And, and you, you can tie down that to where the, the how we situate the police mm. who, who investigate most of, uh, most crimes in Ghana, because the police is, it's almost detached from the attorney general. So the police will go and conduct some investigation. And when the police thinks the attorney general should come in, sends a docket to the attorney general. And then someone in the attorney general has to study the docket and go and prosecute. That whole notion about separation of institutions in our criminal justice system is more a fundamental issue that we have to address than some of the, well, it, it, it's, it's one of the most important issues that we have to address. If, if we separate institutions in the whole criminal justice system such that, as Kwesi Prempe was, said yesterday on a different program on Joy FM, the attorney general is at the end of the retail chain, then we will have problems. So the attorney general in this sense must then take control of everything within, within everything concerning criminal justice matters. And, and for God's sake, anything concerning criminal justice is political. And so this whole thing about also separating the functions of the attorney general from the minister of justice is also problematic. It's a political process of determining how to fight crime, how to ensure justice. And if you see it in that way, it's become, it becomes very problematic, a whole narrow notion that the minister of justice should not be the attorney general. You just have to put in place mechanism under that, that big rule break of combining the two offices such that there will be independence. And in, in our system, we set up the office of the director of public prosecutions. And one would have thought that then that office would have been more equipped and given a certain autonomy, just like in the US, you will have the FBI having autonomy over investigations, but still, accountable to a deputy attorney general. The FBI director is accountable to a deputy attorney general, but when it comes to matters of investigations, there is some autonomy. But these are things that we can talk about in going forward, how to align all these different institutions yeah. that we have created. There are bigger issues concerning uh, criminal justice than setting up one institution and giving that one institution mandate over what we have framed and carved out as political corruption. Um, so I have an essay here. Uh, Papa, um, 
what do you think are the political ramifications? Oh, please. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I, I, I actually was going to say that I, I think Amidu got a little distracted and, you know, failed to consider the fact that he was creating an institution and ought to have strategized on how to proceed, what low-hanging fruit to go for, what successes, you know, he could chalk. And also, I mean, Otin said that brilliantly about the public administration and governance hurdles that he needed to be aware of in setting up administratively so that he would, he would you know, kind of separate the his mandate, executing his mandate and, and, and getting uh, political buy-in from the Ghanaian people, separate that from his struggle with a public admin system. Because I think there was, there is something practical about the challenge of trying to prosecute former government officials, especially if they are heavyweights. So if you if the former president has done something, a former president has done I mean something you know wrong, or his close associates and so on, uh, politically exposed people, his siblings and so on. I think we have seen since two thousand that it is a politically challenging endeavor to pursue and creates massive political tensions in the country that wane and expend all political capital for a new government. It prevents the government from executing you know, its mandate and so on. So I think there was some good reason in trying to insulate or create an institution which can pursue those kinds of things um, that is not then tagged to the office, the, the political office holders. But, but I think, I mean, one of the big problems I have had with this Amidu saga is why did he undertake this risk analysis? For what purpose? Because such a risk analysis, and I think said a great, I mean, brilliant um, intervention, that politic, that polit, uh, corruption risk analysis, seriously speaking, is an advisory analysis. Unless you are at the end, will, will claim corruption or convert it into an investigation. If you end it as a political risk analysis, you are actually operating within the executive. And to have operated within the executive in that instance, you know, and also sought to kind of stand back and I don't know what he was trying to do. And I thought that was a massive trap a massive distraction that has kind of caused the kind of failure, perhaps institutional failure that we have seen with, with his office. I, but I, as I said before, I think there is still some practical wisdom in finding a way to prosecute high politically exposed, highly politically exposed people just because of the tensions we have had in the country since 2000. I'm going to put it in non-lawyer terms uh, and put it bluntly. 
if you cannot get high political crimes prosecuted <laughs> under the current arrangement, then don't even expect that creating another office uh, is going to is going to address that. It's not because with all the institutions we have, if we are still not able to hold public uh, high public officers accountable and prosecute them, I doubt whether any agency that is created will be able to do do, do that. That is just my 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 cynicism. My let, only let me, response. Let me, my only response quickly, Mame. My only response quickly is that let's also be careful not to criminalize politics because politics will involve risk. Politics will involve failures. Politics will result will result in projects that do not go well. That is for the people to make decisions on when they go to the ballot box and go and vote. Let's be careful that we don't criminalize everything that fails in politics because that is a very, very dangerous ground. I, I agree. And I think in this case, we, we are right to criminalize it. But anyway, <laughs> Mami, Corruption please. is not politics. <laughs> Go on, Mami. I, I, want to, <laughs> I want to jump in here and, and, um, and, and I, I'm with Nelson today all the way. So I want to ask those of you who thought that the office had some promise to add, what is it you think that another institution set up in the same framework um, containing the same people could possibly achieve differently? Because by the nature of the way the office is set up, it is unlikely that some um, to start with, we have the problem of structuring our, our systems so that it depends on the character of the office holder. That's the first flaw in our, our institutional strategy because you should set, you should assume, I think Montesquieu it is who says that you should set up your system as if you were expecting it to be run by a bad person as opposed to setting it up depending on the goodness of the nature of the office holder. That's one of our big problems. That, then it, that, but, uh, but that was, that's a separate problem. What I was asking is, what do you think that this institution of special prosecutor set up within the same framework that already has all of these offices um, run by the same political class um, and necessarily filled by someone with a political history will be able to do differently from the other um, the other Mami, I guess your question. So let me try and answer because I think you are muffled a bit. Other anti-corruption agencies that already exist, some of whom I call them civil servants. Yeah. Um, if you, I mean, prior to 2016, you see that, I, I mean, as you said yourself, Mami, I mean, had gained this celebrity status because of his vigilantism, anti-corruption vigilantism. And I think for the, perhaps for the NPP and for Nanako Fuado, the only courageous person at that point to have been able to execute, <laughs> to have been able to execute 
that aspect of the mandate of following political, high political um, corruption was Amidu. And because- My question is yeah. why Amidu? My question is what do you think this institution can do differently? Uh, even looking at Amidu as a choice, right? Yeah. As you said, the, the celebrity status is why. But the reason he was able to acquire that celebrity status was because he was in a political position previously that yeah. gave him access to the information that made him able to be a vigilante. Mm -hmm. He was former deputy attorney general. He was. Mm -hmm. It's not like he was a, 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 a person on the street who suddenly decided to go and investigate this stuff, right? So he came into his vigilantism through his political um, journey. So again, the question is, how do you expect this office to ever be filled by a non-political person? If it is not filled by a, uh, a non-political person, then how do you expect it to do any different from the other offices filled by political people that already exist? And this idea of vigilantism, this this vigilantism mentality is what I'm, I've also been critiquing you know this one person you Thank just you. determine you know it's 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 a very dangerous thing and we the 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 the, the distance between anti-corruption and human rights violation it's it sometimes when we sit here it's it's we think it's quite a, a, a wider gap but in actual fact, it tends to be uh, closely uh, aligned. And, and we just really have to be very careful the way we go about uh, these things, you know. In fact, Wyoming will, will love you for that. Right. Let, me, let me be then in the position of, of perhaps my Andrew Mamie's question. And, and here I find myself for, in an unusual position of trying to speak reason into the MPP's proposal for the special prosecutor's office. I say this because I was compelled by it. I was compelled by the need. And the reason why I say this is, if we look at the history of our corruption fighting, every time you speak to every institution, the claim has consistently been that the attorney general's office was not independent enough. Uh, the president, current president has been in that role before. And the, the, the memorandum which set up the bill speaks again to this same logic that the office is not independent enough. And that's why we are not prosecuting crime, corruption by current public hold, office holders. Now, they say, I mean, there's a, there's a problem about if, if the fish or something comes down to tell you about the bottom of the sea, you believe it, is that as far as I am concerned, if all the people who are holding that office continue to speak to a certain psychological element of being unable to prosecute the people they sit in cabinet with, I'm inclined to hearing it. But I do think, and I've said that I do think that the way in which it was set up did not respond to that crisis of dealing with that particular, pro that particular problem. And that's why we continue to have these challenges. And so if you're setting on an office or not, which is supposed to deal with a problem where others in that role are consistently telling us that the reason why we are not being effective is because we sit in cabinet with the president and the fellow other ministers. And we, we need to solve that. That's what this was supposed to solve. As far as I was concerned. Again, a very fundamentally flawed uh, uh, reasoning. Um, one, it did, we, we saw, and just to get more specific here with the Ejapa deal, right? We saw it did not stop 
although the attorney general is a member of cabinet and sits with the president and minister of finance, it still did not stop her from issuing advice around this same Ejapa deal. Remember when Ejapa became a big issue, most of the discussions were around the opinion of the auditor, the attorney general, which was, which had also raised red flags. I'm sure if Nana Ekufado needed advice about the legality, the um, the sense in in this Ejapadio, he he had he had so many of them. And that the, is why uh, the auditor me... general, the auditor general, was very clear about some of the problems with the Ejapadio. Uh, civil society, uh, why did we need? another office to conduct an advisory investigation. and Exactly. And and my, and, my point and is that you don't need an advisory, uh, you don't need the, anti the special prosecutor to provide anti-corruption risk advice. That's the job of the AG. What you, if that the, the special prosecutor's office will remain, what that office ought to do is to go after officer one. Because nobody currently in the political, in the anti-corruption system in Ghana has the political weight, has the history, has whatever it takes to be able to go after Officer One. And Amidu's role, both as the first uh, person to occupy this office, was to build the institutional capacity to enable his office do that outside of him. Can you please provide some context to <laughs> Officer One? Sorry. Okay. The occupation with current, current um, political officers as the justification for setting up a whole new office for Please. current political um, <laughs> officials. There, there are more than one ways to kill a cat. And if you want to uh, eradicate corruption, does it need to be with current ministers such that you need a whole new office? Would it not also serve the purpose if people who leave, leave office and are immediately prosecuted, would it not also... Um, operates to make people cautious when they are in office. I'm not saying that is the solution. I'm saying that the whole idea behind a special prosecutor is built on current offices. Everybody's term is four years, right? Term, maximum eight years. Do we require the expenditure of an institution focused at current offices only when crime has no statute of limitation anyway? So it seems no, to me I, that... This whole I don't necessarily think, that, though, Mami, uh, uh, unfortunately, it was limited to only only people in office now. It it I do it, it, it isn't. The only other thing is so the mom. Why is it a problem for the attorney general? Mami, the the for people only who are not thing, in office office now. The, the, why is the problem? The, because the, historically, the, the, it has created political tensions that have crippled political action. Like I can put it that way. And, and it's been framed as political persecution of persons previously holding office. 
We're just not inclined to fight the political persecution because people need to have a response. And that's part of the democratic process. Why is there this belief that democracy is painless and and beautiful and smooth and we are all sitting in a circle singing happy songs? It's part of the political process that people will um, present a narrative to the people um, and that those narratives may not be compatible and the people's job is to choose a narrative that's a democracy so this idea that we should set it up such that there is no friction yeah. within political parties exactly. for the conduct exactly. of so you're spot on i i i just history the history does not support or turn your position no 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 it's not my position it's not my position i just brought it up so that okay respond to thanks for the disclaimer but the history we have prosecuted former government officials. Then, uh, 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 um, uh, uh, what happened to Chachuchikata? What happened to Rekubrobe? All those things. High-ranking high former officials who've spent time in prison over their conduct exactly. in office. So the idea that we must set up a whole institution to look at those who are now in office as if now or never for a country with the resource challenges we have and the needs we have, was this really a priority? I think it was. There, I, there I, no think so. other I way? Think There's so. no statute of limitation on time. I, 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 I agree. I don't, I don't this, think there's any other crime I think it just political victory for a party to power. Sorry? And, and we, to we've wasted point, money, money, to be honest. I mean, to your point about whether it should be a painless process. I don't, I think it's also part of the politics to create an institution that this, that takes out the language of political victimization from your mouth, even in the politicization process. So I don't think that creating an institution itself is not a political move. It is a political move. So I don't think that there's one that is the language is that the special prosecutor is now using. And, and I mean, the special prosecutor himself is now using the language of political victimization. <laughs> I think I think this this conversation this conversation will go on. Uh, for me, uh, for me, I think fundamentally as a nation, with all the problems we have, and and what Otten put uh, captured very succinctly, the problems that various institutions of state have in terms of logistics, in terms of um, financial support and all that. And then as a nation, our governance priorities uh, and whatever complement of institutions that we need, we really need to think creatively and just stop this very lazy, I think, approach of just creating institutions. And, and I've had, you know, I've, I've, I've had occasion to write about the Public Interest and Accountability Committee and so many other committees that we just keep creating out of really groundless uh, basis. Um, and, and as a nation, I think we, we really need to reflect and, and not go for just quantity, but really think through in terms of impact, meaningful impact, let me put it that way, uh, that will uh, help us in our quest for, and, and in, in, in the upcoming election, there are so many institutions that are also being promised. Uh, and we don't, we don't want to be a nation that just creates institutions. We want to be a, a nation that creates institutions that matter.
for governance and development. For me, that should be the standard. And I, I at the moment, I'm having a biased remorse, if I have to be honest, uh, with with the setting up of the office of the special prosecutor. I'm taking those as, as Nelson's last words. What thing? And, and, and my wrapping up is that some of these things, we are even take a step back that risk analysis, corruption risk analysis must be done for every piece of legislation before the, the, a, a bill becomes law. That is something that should go to the oversight responsibility of parliament. Building parliamentary capacity to do such analysis is so important and can prevent so many things that we, we are now spending so much money to fight. Papa? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I totally, I mean, I agree with, with um, the fact that this, you know, we shouldn't just set up institutions and so on. But I, I think somehow we have underrated the political tensions whenever there's a change of the guard, especially since 2000. And I think, you know, perhaps the solution is not to set up, you know, um, a special prosecutor's office, but it was really, the country was spending a lot of energy, political energy on, on um, dealing with the corruption and po perceived political persecution of former um, political opponents when you have when you gain power, and I think perhaps you know that in context will will enable us review properly the role of the special prosecutor going forward. Mami, you have to come in here for your last words. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to to stick with my position that I don't think that that office was alone enough to change anything that's been going on in our system. We have corruption starting from when we nominate, uh, when people try and stand for, elect for office, all the way up to the top. And I think institutions like the Office of the Special Prosecutor are ways in which we as a people shirk responsibility and, and, and um, avoid admitting that as a people, we are both tolerant and encouraging of corruption because we have these cultural attitudes towards the rights of a person in office, the use of office for personal gain, um, and, and the whole political system runs on this understanding that if we win, we win and we live big. And so to set up an office allows us to pretend that we don't have this problem at a deeper level than, we, than um, at, the, at the top political um, echelons. As a positivist, for this reason, I have trouble accepting that the Office of the Special Prosecutor is the way in which we solve our, our corruption problems. Corruption is a, is a people's problem. It's never a, a matter of seven individuals or some um, a particular political party's bend. Corruption is always a function of the state of the society. If we are truly opposed to corruption, that's a, a discussion that has to be had at a much deeper level than setting up, um, than, than prosecuting the five faces that
we can we can isolate. I, I still stand by my position that the office is not necessary. I don't think Mr. Amidu did much to institutionalize it if we are stuck with it, such that it can survive him. I think the fact that its greatest source of controversy is around an advisory um, um, assessment when after three years without having actually prosecuted anybody suggests that there are problems with the way that office works, um, to put it kindly. Um, and so <laughs> on that, on I, I the would note say that we have a well said, well said. To have. <laughs> on the note that Mami then questions the, the entire republic, I I think that we can we can end the, today's conversation here and hopefully get into other conversations as we roll down towards towards election twenty twenty December six. Thank you guys and we continue to want to hear from our listeners. Send us your voice notes that you have and send us your comments and feedback through our dedicated email, talkinghana at protonmail.com. Bye Ma- guys. Wow, mommy. No, mommy. Mommy was on fire, yeah, Charlie. Fire. Mommy was on fire. <laughs> that was a really good one. It was it was, it, it, it was low, but it, it so speaks to everything. Eh? 